Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Any Stupid Questions, the podcast where we ask stupid questions about important subjects, but not today because we're talking about Brexit. I'm Danielle Ward and joining me to explain Brexit to us again is Anand Menon, director of the think tank UK in a Changing Europe. Hello again. Hello, how are you? I'm all right. You've done all right our Brexit, haven't you? I'm a Brexit profiteer. I'm proud of it. And also joining me are comedians Alice Fraser and John Luke Roberts. Hello. Hello. And before we, because we have realised that no one listens to the end of podcasts, so I'm going to ask you to plug something now rather than later on because they won't listen. Uh, I'm on tour with my comedy show around the UK. And what's your comedy show called? Um, All I want to do is FX gunshots with an FX gun reloading and an FX cash register and perform some comedy. Alice. I am doing a filming of my show. Ethos, which is a double act with a robot, on the 17th of February at the Museum of Comedy in London. It's on at 5 and 7pm. Anand, you've got anything to plug? I'm doing a really exciting public lecture in Leeds tomorrow, which you'll have missed by the time you hear this, but I suppose you'd want to Whereabouts in Leeds? At the university. Right, so first question that I have for you is, are we heading for a no-deal Brexit? Because you said that would be bad. Is that still the case? Is it worse than you thought? No, it's bad. I mean, it's bad, and we can go into the ways it would be bad, but the simple answer, this is fantastic, because this is what I make a living doing. I don't know. No one knows, possibly, but I think unlikely. You think it's unlikely? You still yes. think it's unlikely to go yes. to No Deal? Yes. Well, that's good. So does business. I saw it in Canary Wharf today. This big ticker went by. Businesses still don't think No Deal's going to happen. But <laughs> businesses are very, very cross by the fact it's still a possibility. Yeah, yeah. Because the market responds as if it's still a possibility. Well, because if you run a business and you were thinking of investing here, yeah. you might think, mm. maybe not. Actually, I think today is the day, or around today, when if you were shipping something here from Japan, you would have to think twice about about it because you're no longer certain what the rules will be when the ship arrives. Is it not also the case now that there simply isn't time for us to put through all the legislation, all the things? Can we still... Because if Theresa May keeps saying we're, we're not going to move this back from the 29th of March, is it even possible not to move it back from the 29th of March? Just about, because actually there's only one piece of legislation that has to, has to, has to go through once we've signed the deal, which is called the Withdrawal Agreement Bill, which is the bill that puts the deal into our law. Right. And... In theory, I mean, it's not going to happen because it would be such a bad look. The government could do it under emergency powers and shove it through in two days. I think there will be an almighty outcry because this is a piece of law that changes our constitution in some quite fundamental ways. So possibly just about time. I think most people now think we're going to have to ask for a delay. The question is how. I mean, Theresa May has made a a bit of an art form out of saying, I will not do it. Okay, go on then. And she's going to have to do it again by uh, most people's guess. So why is she so adamant 
to not... Why is nobody helping us? That's what I want to know. Why, why is... It's also... Can the Queen stop it? Well, there's been there's been talk of the Queen being sort of brought into this, but I think the Queen quite sensibly wants to stay out of it. Well, I mean, it's a serious question. Why is this such a nightmare? And I yeah. think there are lots of reasons why it's a nightmare. One, because it is. Yes. Leaving the European Union is a nightmare. We could have been gov- we could have we could have God as Prime Minister with a majority of four hundred, it would be a nightmare because it's hard. Yeah. Right? First thing. Second thing, the country is absolutely divided. If you do polling of public opinion, there is no majority for anything whatsoever. We're divided. Politicians mirror that divide. There is no majority for anything. Mm -hmm. Add to that the fact the Prime Minister hasn't been very good and has handled it quite badly. And that's where we are where we are. So you don't think that we're going to have a no deal Brexit? I think it's possible, but not the most likely outcome. Okay, because obviously there's still all this talk about a no deal. What what happens under a no-deal Brexit? Like this, for example, air traffic control. Yeah. What happens to that? I don't understand why that doesn't work anymore. What happens under no-deal is all the laws that guide and shape how we interact with the European Union mm-hmm. will cease to apply. So the laws in our country about rights and stuff like that, we've put them into our law. That's fine. There's loads of laws that involve interaction with them, whether it's travel, transport, trade, security. They will cease to apply, which means that, for instance... EU rules, which covered us for the ownership of airlines, yep. means that you have to have a certain proportion of EU ownership for your airline to be able to fly the way it can now. BA fails that test. We don't know what happens to British Airways. There are all sorts of uncertainties like that. The EU might say, OK, fine, we'll waive the rules for now. Let's just find a fix. They might not. We don't know. The other thing is at ports. Will the EU impose checks? Possibly not straight away, not because they don't want to, but because they haven't got the people there to do it. But down the line, they will. And that's going to slow things down. And if you imagine you're a fresh fruit and veg importer or exporter, Mm -hmm. you will become a not very fresh fruit and veg importer and exporter quite quickly, which is going to impact on your business. The Scottish seafood industry, they sell the majority of their seafood to continental Europe. If there are checks, you will be having unfresh seafood, which I imagine will have an impact on its market price. So... A load of hassle and a load of uncertainty is the short answer. Alice. So as an Australian... uh, You're our best trading partner. Yes. Will (laughs) this uh, terrible Brexit shenanigan lead to uh, an increased respect for your ex-Commonwealth colonies? Will will that be a, a thing? Well, I should say first and foremost that they weren't my colonies. No, almost certainly not. I think what will happen when we leave is we will be desperate to sign a trade deal. And that will put you, amongst others, in a very, very strong situation where you say to us, here's a trade deal we've devised for you, sign it. Will it be less of an absolute ball ache for me to get a visa? (laughs) Ah, now that's interesting because maybe, but probably not. Because one of the things that's happening post-Brexit is not that we've suddenly become very liberal about immigration. It's an interesting story because the British people have become far more liberal about immigration since 2016. There's a set of polling done by Ipsos Mori which measures how important people think an issue is. Mm -hmm. Just before the referendum, 40% of people in this country thought immigration was amongst the top couple of issues facing this country. It was an all-time high. It is now just over 20%, so it's at its lowest level since 2000. More people than ever now in this country think that immigration is good for the economy and culturally enriching. So actually, the British people have changed. The problem is that the the woman who was Home Secretary while we were imposing these type policies is now Prime Minister. I don't think under her, liberalising immigration is on the agenda. She seems to really hate foreigners. It seems to be the one principle she really Yeah, it's, that, it's quite... I, I won't ask you about well, that. Well, I mean, let's put it another way. I think she doesn't like immigration. She doesn't like immigration. She wants to be able to control it and she thinks there's an issue with it. Despite the evidence, yeah. which is, you know... 
about the economic benefits it brings, despite clear evidence, for instance, that public opinion never bothered about students and her refusal to take students out of those numbers was a bit of a mystery to everyone. Yeah. It does seem now, though, under the new Home Secretary, who, of course, is doing this partly because he wants her job, the notion of a target has been binned. So the notion that we've got a target of reducing immigration to the tens of thousands seems to have gone. She has these red lines, Mm -hmm. and one of those is um, cutting off freedom of movement as Mm -hmm. if it's a wonderful thing. Mm -hmm. If she went back to the EU and said, oh, my red lines were rubbish, Uh, I'm getting rid of some of them, would that help the situation? Yes and no. There's two bits to our agreement with the European Union that she signed. There's something called the withdrawal agreement, Mm -hmm. which is all about tying up the loose ends of membership. So it's about the rights of EU citizens and Brits over there. It's about how much money we owe them and it's about the backstop in Northern Ireland, which we can talk about if you want, but it's really boring. Okay. Okay. The second thing she's done is this nine-page document. I think it's it's more than nine pages, 20-odd pages, called the Political Declaration, which sort of is a statement of aspirations about the future. We'd like to do this. We're determined to do that, which is all about our future relationship. In that document, it says freedom of movement will end. Yeah. That document isn't legally binding. The problem that most MPs are having with the deal seems to be about the withdrawal agreement. So, yes, you could get rid of the free movement thing in that document. And I suppose politically it gives you more scope afterwards. But that's really not the issue now. You could essentially negotiate whatever trade deal you like once we've left, once we've left. Yeah. So there are a lot of MPs playing a funny double game here. So Labour is saying, oh, we want a permanent customs union. But you can have a permanent customs union with this deal. So sign the deal, win an election, negotiate a permanent customs union. But actually, the Labour leadership's objection to Theresa May's deal isn't because it's massively different to what they want. It's because it's Theresa May's deal. So on Jeremy Corbyn, we are we leave the European Union on the 29th of March. And the Labour Party's position is pushing for a general election rather than a second referendum. Mm-hmm. How how does that stop anything? How does that help, having a general election? I don't understand how that in any way solves the problem of us crashing out on the 29th of March. Well, it doesn't. And it doesn't for two reasons, I suppose. One, we're not going to have one because whenever we have a vote of no confidence, the Tories suddenly discover unity. Yeah. And secondly, even if we had one, chances are both parties would campaign on a ticket of respecting the outcome of the referendum Which and is what's almost certainly now. no party would get a majority. So oh. we'd end up pretty much back at square one, maybe with a Corbyn minority government, but it's not going to fundamentally change things. The reason why they do it is because... Like any good opposition party, the Labour Party's position is we think government policies are crap, we can do better, we're not quite ready to tell you how yet. And that makes sense if you're an opposition party. You can win votes doing that. Now, there are some people who think, actually, Brexit is too big a deal to mess around with. You need to actually oppose it. Corbyn, I don't think, agrees with that. Corbyn wants to play both ends against the middle. What he wants to do is, I think, and I haven't talked to him about this and I doubt he'd tell me if I did, but my guess is... Some in the Labour leadership, let's not put it straight down to him, think that the best outcome of this process is we leave the European Union with Theresa May's deal, without Labour fingerprints on it as far as possible. It doesn't go terribly well. And that forms the basis for Labour winning the next election. I think that's the thinking. So actually, they want to leave with plausible deniability. Have you got a question, John Luke? So I'm not even sure how... Maybe this will turn into a question. (laughs) Because I listened to your last episode on this, just uh, in preparation for this, and most of the questions asked then are the questions I would still ask now. And it seems extraordinary that in two years... Everything seems to change all the time and nothing has changed at all. Like It seems this incredible inertia with getting anything done, mm-hmm. while at the same time, the new cycle working faster than 
at any other point. Well, there's one big change, isn't there? We had an election in the middle where she lost the majority. Yeah, yes. that was and that's great. quite an important. I mean, change. I do. I'm, I found that really funny, so I'm still glad that happened. That was a real treat. <laughs> um, that was, oh, it's great. Oh, it's, uh, it, was, uh, it really cheered me up for about a week. Until I realised, oh no, now now the DUP. Are... Actually, I think last time we spoke to you, we didn't know whether this would go through just with the government or whether it went to a parliamentary vote, which obviously has now happened and there has been a parliamentary vote. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm a politician and I don't like Theresa May's deal, so I decide to vote against it. What am I, what am I voting for? What is anybody for? What is the what? Is, what do well... the people want? But that points to something else that has changed, hasn't it? Because if you think back to immediate post-referendum... There's this really febrile mood in the country, which is, I mean, it's febrile now, but in a different way. And everyone's saying, let's just leave already. Yeah. And MPs feel under a massive pressure because there's been a referendum to vote to trigger Article 50, yeah. which they do. In retrospect, with my 2020 hindsight, yeah. I can now say clearly and unambiguously, that was probably a mistake because you should have waited to figure out what the plan was before you voted to leave. But at the time, in their defence, they were under massive pressure. It wasn't that obvious. They thought the country was pushing them in that direction, and they did it. Although to then decide to call the general election just afterwards and waste a few months of a two-year negotiation period seemed a bit daft. Well, there again, there's a sort of 2020 hindsight, isn't there? Because if you're 25 points ahead in the polls and your opponent is Jeremy Corbyn, you can be forgiven for thinking, let's smash this rabble and get myself a 100-seat majority. Now, she was wrong, as it turns out, but I can understand the rationale for it. And I think most of the people around her thought, yeah, why not? We're going to win this. If Northern Ireland um, and the Republic of Ireland weren't... Well, if Northern Ireland wasn't part of the United Kingdom, so yes. if we were just talking about Scotland, Wales and England, mm-hmm. would all this be sorted? Is is the backstop literally the thing that is causing all these problems? It would be a lot easier without the backstop, yes, though bear in mind there are an awful lot of Tory MPs who are using the backstop as a cover for the fact that they really don't like the withdrawal agreement tying us to EU rules or a partial customs union. So there are all sorts of... There's, there's all sorts of people not being entirely honest with us at okay. the moment. But yes... Uh, Northern Ireland is a unique issue because we've got to keep that border open. And if we're outside the single market in the customs union, it's hard to do that. Mm. Also bear in mind that this notion of Ireland being united is not as fanciful as it sounds because there's polling out there that shows that if we leave with no deal, a majority of people in Northern Ireland would vote for independence with the Republic. I keep hearing this thing from Brexiters of, oh, Ireland's going to leave Europe eventually and come to join the UK. Is that likely? Or, Absolute I mean, nonsense. Yeah, I think support okay. for membership is over it's 95% or something, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. In the Republic now. Yeah, they've just got no interest whatsoever in leaving the Europe. I mean, Ireland defines itself as a European country now. And actually, the experience of Brexit for the Irish has been, A, watching what's happened here, which has hardly been salutary, and B, realising they have an enormous amount of influence within the... I mean, the European Union is, is doing what the Irish have asked them to do. They have an influence over the European Union that is quite startling for such a small country. So... Even if they weren't keen on the European Union beforehand, which they were, they are far keener on it now. Presumably, or maybe not presumably, they, like most places, will have also been 
moving building trade routes to Europe rather than just to the UK is well no I mean this is this is the game of chicken that's being played out at the moment is the British government is basically saying to the Irish okay we don't like the backstop we're not going to sign up to it but if we don't sign up to the backstop we get no deal if we get no deal your economy will be hit almost as badly as ours I think 80% of the fresh fruit and veg that comes out of the Republic comes through the United Kingdom if there are checks that industry gets decimated the, the Republic trades a lot with us I think we export more to the Republic of Ireland than we do to all the BRICs. That's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa combined. So there's a massive amount of trade there and they will be hurt by it. And I think, you know, you can just see the signs of jitters in the Republic now, which is to refuse to negotiate the backstop to avoid a border if that results in no deal, which will also result in a border, is counterproductive. Mm -hmm. At the moment, the Irish are holding firm. I don't know what will happen. My guess is they probably will, and we will blink first, but I don't know. But they have a real Hobson's choice to make because their economy will be savagely hit by a no deal as well. Alice? As far as I can tell, as as an outsider, it seems like a lot of people who are pro-Brexit are looking to recreate this glorious past of British independence that never really existed. Uh, And they seem to be willing to make these economic uh, sacrifices to get there. Would there be any support for a time machine? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> Back to a time people, when yeah, all food was made out of glue and raw onions. There is a certain sort of Brexiter who wishes it was the 1950s, in the same way that there's a certain sort of Trump supporter who wishes it was the 1970s. That is absolutely true. Uh, there are lots of different sorts of levers, though. This is only one particular kind of lever. And one of the interesting things you said is that some of these people would be willing to accept an economic hit to get there. That's not true of all of them. There are some of them, of course, who now claim that trade with Australia will more than make up for our trade with the European Union. Mm-hmm. I think geography intervenes in that logic at some point. You know, we're not going to be making cars with Australia the way we make cars with BMW. So I don't think that's true. In fact, that isn't true. But there are some people on the Leave side. And, you know, hats off. I don't say this very often, but fair play to Nigel Farage. He was one of the few people on the Leave side who was willing to say, and, you know, he, he was, I remember him on the radio once being pressed saying, look, immigration is good for the economy why do you want to stop it and he said there are some things more important than money so at least he had the honesty to say yes i want this and i accept the fact that it will cost money but there are many on the leave side who are dishonest who not only say they want to leave but say it will be absolutely fine to the economy take digby jones the former head of the cbi who said famously not a single job will be lost (sighs) it's hard to imagine i mean in the worst case scenario what does the worst case scenario look like and what's the best thing that would come out of the worst case scenario what no deal you mean is, yeah, is the well, worst just, case scenario. i mean what does that world look like and do we have to learn knife fighting <laughs> no we don't have to learn knife fighting but we will probably have to put it with shortages and i don't know if you remember a couple of years ago when kfc ran out of chicken and there were people ringing 999 to say yeah, oh, yeah it was <laughs> we are so fucked i mean we are so, either yeah I mean, we don't know. I mean, it is so uncertain. One of the things like, you know, people go out and model economic effects. This is so uncertain you can't model it because we don't know how the EU will react. We don't know how. We've said we'll wave some such stuff through at borders. We're not going to wave through animals or things that need health checking. So there's going to be holdups at borders. The borders will slow down. Imports and exports will slow down. The rules will cease to apply. So it will become harder to trade. And then I think on top of that, what will happen? This is what really worries me about No Deal. I mean, a quick, you know, a crisis and shortages, okay, But the politics will be miserable because you can imagine here it will be those Europeans have done this to punish us. And public opinion will turn 
even more anti-European. And I think that will spill over for a long time to come. It will start affecting things like solidarity inside NATO because all of a sudden it will be, well, if those bastards are going to make us have shortages in the supermarkets, why should we defend them if they're attacked by Russia? So I think the, the spillover of that will be quite pernicious. So I'm still desperately stalling and trying to think of a good thing that will come out of this. I suppose all the Bucks parties will stay in the UK? Well, yeah, they won't go to Estonia anymore because they might not be able to fly, I suppose. And actually, if they did fly there, they probably wouldn't be able to afford anything because the pound would plummet if in the event of a no deal. I mean, the one thing I would say is we would know what no deal was and know we'd been lied to. Because, you know, in a sense, as long as no deal doesn't happen, those people saying it would have been fine, be fine yeah. can maintain that, even though they're wrong. Can I ask you this? Yeah. What's happened to the Brexit ministers? Why did they leave? What was going on there? I don't understand why they all left the job. Well, what I said before, partly, which is plausible deniability, ah. is that, you know, we're going to get a deal. It's going to involve compromise. I don't want my fingerprints on this because I can turn around. And what is amazing what about... What a horrible of, thing for a politician to what do. What is amazing about some of these people is they were involved in the negotiations for weeks, if not months, and they're turning around now saying, I could do better. And it's like, but you tried. It's like being gaslit uh, by the... Uh, or gaslighted. I don't know which way around it is. But when when you see David Davis... It's actually like, gaslicht. <laughs> he acts like he had nothing to do with I know, it. I know. Why, why doesn't anybody? Why don't people just go? What the fuck are you talking about? And you know, I didn't like the sequencing of the talks. Fair enough, you were absolutely right. Why didn't you resign? Well, I thought I'd keep going and just oh. people, you know and accept it. I mean, it, yeah, it is hard to tolerate. It's just bizarre. If you've enjoyed any stupid questions, it would be really, really nice of you to go on to whatever platform you use, iTunes is good, and leave us a review. Five stars is nice. One star, if you hate me because I went to school with you and I've never spoken to you since, then that's also good because at least it lets me know who out there has got a vendetta. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. People's vote, good idea or bad idea? I think people should vote. 
The people, you know what I'm talking about. A referendum. Yes. I'm slightly allergic to the people's vote idea. Are you? Well, I'm slightly allergic to the term, first okay. and foremost. Because of Patrick Stewart's involvement. No, I'm Are a great a fan. I, I, I was a Trekkie. I am a Trekkie. Are if you? I was, wasn't a Trekkie, I am a Next Generation. I loved it. It's the best loved series, it. isn't yeah, it? Next yeah, Generation, I mean, I, story is... of a sad man who learns how to play poker with his friends. Oh. oh, I know, but that was very moving, I thought, when they <laughs> yeah, played poker oh, at the end. Absolutely, I mean, it was a beautiful was, yeah. arc. There was one where he plays a pipe as well. That was Anyway, enough of that. Great fan of Patrick Stewart. He's from Leeds as well, incidentally. Oh. Uh, and he goes back once a year and does a free show there. Does he? Yes. I will so, put that in my diary. The next exactly. generation live. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he goes and chats, I think. But anyway, there are issues about a referendum. So let me go through the issues around a referendum. Okay. But let me say, as a preface... Things are so ropey that despite what I'm about to say, it still might end up being the best of all the plausible alternatives. All right? Mm -hmm. Firstly, Parliament has to pass legislation for a referendum. Not just say, oh, it'd be quite nice, or oh, we don't want no deal. You have to get a majority to pass legislation saying we're going to have a referendum. I don't see that happening in the near future. Secondly, they've got to agree on the question. Now, that sounds easy. Think about it. Is the question Mrs May's deal that Parliament would have rejected for us to have a referendum versus Remain? Is it no deal, which, as I spelt out, is a bit of a nightmare, versus remain? Or are some leavers who support a referendum, because there are some of them, think, should it be Mrs May's deal versus no deal? So remain not there. Or should we have a choice of three? Or, as some people have suggested, should we have two referendums? So we have a leave-remain referendum one Thursday, and if we vote leave, we have a Mrs May's deal versus no deal the next Thursday. No. Don't let your eyes go blank. Keep going. <laughs> right, so... Imagine we get over those hurdles, yes. right? We've got a bill, we've got a question. Well, then the question we... is, what question should we be asking? Well, yeah, so we've... just imagine we've come up to an agreement on the question, then we have the referendum, right? Firstly, it will be hideous because the Leave campaign will be the bastards in London are betraying you. And mm -hmm. I think four months of that, funded by the public purse, is not good for democracy in any shape or form. I think it'll be ugly and I think it'll just increase distrust in politics at a time when we could do without it. Fine. Imagine that all happens. I also think that the slogan they've already come up with, which is tell them again, is going to be far better than any slogan the other side comes up with. Then we have the vote. And imagine, say, I mean, the polls are close. Mm -hmm. All right. So it's about 55, 45 towards Remain now, which is roughly where most people thought it was during the referendum campaign. But we don't know who will vote. We don't know who will win. It, it's not going to be clear cut, I don't think, either way. But imagine we come up with a 52, 48 the other way. And imagine, just for fun, that the turnout was slightly smaller than in 2016. Do you think that settles things? I think Jacob Rees-Mogg, Boris, Nigel will be back. He'll be polling in the 20% on his betrayal card. Yeah. And we'll just do it again. So, as I said, we might end up in a situation where things are so rubbish and Parliament can't agree on anything, so actually a referendum is the way ahead. But there is no way ahead that is problem-free. There's sort of no way ahead which leaves... I mean, the country's hating itself for the next 10 years, whatever happens. We were a divided country before Brexit. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I say the referendum was a bit like, was not like, oh, my God, we've become so divided, but it was a bit like looking in the mirror and not liking what you saw. Yeah, yeah. All right. I mean, we found out that we were a country where some people don't like immigration, where some people are so hacked off at being poor for so long that they just think to London. All right which actually I have a degree of sympathy for. Mm -hmm. But yes, Bre what, what Brexit has done is it's created this new Leave Remain thing. And we published some research last week that was really interesting that showed that more people now have a Leave or Remain identity than have a political identity. 
And so that, if that continues, say, after we leave the European Union, then it's an issue because, of course, Leave and Remain cuts through both our big parties and it makes them unmanageable. Mm-hmm. So there are divisions. I mean, I think the positive thing about this, the positive thing about the Brexit saga is there's loads of stuff we should have been aware of before June 2016. You know, chronic inequality by uh, social class, by geography, the gap between towns and cities, the fact that, you know, there were large areas of the country that were genuinely not having the same opportunities and prospects of the other. It was all perfectly obvious beforehand, but no one paid any attention because our electoral system meant those people didn't get a say. We know that now. Yeah, but nobody's started acting differently to... We know that now, but... That's still the way things are. Well, Theresa May started going. If you back my deal, I'll give you. Yeah, I'll give the yeah. your constituents well, some money. There's that. We'll come back to the sort of bribe thing. But bear in mind, the first thing Theresa May did when she became prime minister was make a speech on Downing Street where she talks about injustices and the just about managing. And this was a Tory. When's the last time you heard a Tory say that? Now, you could turn around to me and say, and you'd be right, but she's done nothing about it. It's true. Brexit has blotted everything else out completely. We've done, we haven't been governed since the referendum because everything's been about Brexit. Nevertheless, and this might be me clinging on to straws, it is the fact that we are aware of and we're talking about issues that preceded the referendum that we should have dealt with then that actually are now on the political agenda should we ever manage to finish Brexit and do anything else? Could we take a leaf out of Ireland and Northern Ireland's uh, book and just draw a line down the middle of the country and everyone who who's pro-Remain goes on the side that's closest to Europe and everyone who's leave goes on the other side? Maybe, except remember that Northern Ireland and Ireland rubbed the line out. Mm-hmm. They didn't draw the line. What the, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement was about getting rid of that line. So actually they've come closer together and it is sort of, I suppose you'd say, united in diversity. And actually, Ireland has been a really clear example of how you can have different identities and live in the same place. This is different. This isn't so much about self-government. This is about your vision of the country. One of the interesting things about the Brexit referendum was, you know, the best way of predicting how someone voted was whether they had a degree or not, Mm -hmm. Okay, which shows that there's a big divide around education and opportunity. But another way of looking at how people voted was by social value. Things like, do you believe in a capital punishment? Do you think children should be disciplined? Do you think that there should be more emphasis on law and order? Do you think the country was better in the past when we were stricter? If you had conservative social values, you voted leave. If you had liberal social values, you voted remain. That is quite hard to deal with in a political system. And actually, if you look at the United States, one of the things that's poisoned their politics has been the culture war. And one of my real fears about us now is if that divide becomes real and if political forces grow up that champion that divide rather than the traditional left-right one, we might be in for something quite similar. Oh, God, this is all so depressing. This is fantastic fun, isn't it? (laughs) Why is it more being made of vote leave breaking the law? And can't that just stop everything why if they broke the law why isn't someone going well clearly the referendum is invalid so let's just halt everything for now um revoke not not revoke so stop article 50 and let's have a little sit down cup of tea and then think about it again in eight months well lots of reasons i suppose one is because we don't have the laws to do that they've been fined as much as the law allows them to be fined and remember in quite a lot of elections one party or the other is found guilty of exceeding spending limits and fine but the election stands unless but there are provisions for elections in the case of serious breaches to rerun elections in constituencies our laws on referendums are crap yeah so because there aren't constituencies in the same way you can't do that second thing i would say is actually despite a lot of noise 
I have yet to see, and it's not something I'm an expert in, so maybe I've missed it, conclusive proof about illegal activities around the internet, Facebook and all that sort of thing. And I remain a little bit sceptical. See, because that was going to be my next question. Okay. How much of it, how much do you think Brexit has been engineered by nefarious dabblings from outside the UK? And how much do you think it is just genuinely an issue that the country was always divided on? And if you looked at it, this was the obvious outcome? Simple answer is I don't know. Uh, and there are two layers to this, I suppose. Yes, I think the country was always divided in this way. And indeed, some people have looked at the polling all the way back to 2012 and said, actually, no one changed their mind at all. The whole thing was a waste of time. We might as well just have the vote in 2012 because no one changed their mind. What did happen was that Leave voters were persuaded to turn out. And that is absolutely fundamental. Yeah. Uh, that I think there were 2.8 million people who didn't think it was worth voting in the 2015 general election, who did think it was worth voting in the referendum of 2016. And that was crucial. Now, I still struggle to think that's because of Facebook ads. Really? No, that, that's not me thinking it is Facebook ads. It's just one of those things that, you know, in in your, our liberal metropolitan elite bubble, you get told, oh, you know, it's all Facebook's fault, don't you? All this. The one thing I would say about that Okay, is I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on these things. Maybe someone will find proof. I've yet to see, I've yet to read anything that smells of proof. I mean, there's suspicions, there's suspicious activity, there's dodgy lunches and all that sort of stuff. But show me, I mean, I, I'm yet to see, but as I said, I'm not an expert. But I think the real danger of this is, take a football analogy. If you If you watch your team play a game and you think they lost because of a dodgy refereeing decision, you won't focus on the fact that actually they didn't play very well. Right. And I think the danger of a sort of we was robbed about the referendum is that we actually don't think about the genuine reasons why people were so hacked off. And this is the thing to think about. Social science tells you that people should vote for the status quo over uncertainty. Why? Because better the devil, you know, my life might not be great now, but actually, do I want to risk what I've got in terms of uncertainty? 52 percent of people did. Yeah. All right. Now, some of them were zealots who hate the European Union. A lot of them were people who just felt hacked off. And actually, that is a lesson we shouldn't le lose from sight. And we shouldn't lose it from sight by hiding behind that. Oh, well, look, it was all rigged anyway, so it's not real. Because I think then we don't do what we really should do, which is address some of the issues that led to that vote in the first place. <laughs> I, on like literally the day before the referendum, was was considering voting Brexit simply because it felt like a two fingers up to Westminster and the Tory government and austerity, rather than the, like the unforeseen mess that we're now in. I think you and many others, and I think if you think back to that bus, yeah, it was an anti-austerity bus. That's what it was. That's why it was red. Yeah. That's why it had NHS on the side. It was a bus that went around the country saying, look, this is a two fingers up to the establishment who've been cutting your benefits. And I think that was a very, very powerful message. And actually, think of the counterfactual, because lots of people say, oh, it's the poorest who'll be worst off, right? Yeah. What is the counterfactual? The counterfactual is Cameron staying in power, right? I don't think Corbyn would have done as well in an election without Brexit as he did with Brexit, because Brexit sort of shook shook the political kaleidoscope quite profoundly. So you're thinking Cameron, then Osborne, then maybe Osborne again. Yeah. Right. How do you think poor people would have fared then? They would have doubled down on austerity. They would have kept their majority. And I think they would basically have tried to erode the welfare state as far as they could have done. So now we have a situation where we're Brexiting. We're going to be poorer than we would have been. Absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah. 
but people are talking about injustice and inequality. I think in 15 years' time, it'll be very, very interesting to compare the counterfactual to where we are in that. That has cheered me up. OK, fantastic. That's genuinely that's cheered me up. Yeah, that's the, the best first time that's been yeah. The worst-case scenario. Yeah. Good. So you're saying that it is better than an indefinite period of Cameron and Osborne. Well, do you know what? The way you put it like that, you're, you're That's right. That's quite a low bar. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> there'll be less money, but maybe possibly people will be thinking about talking about whether it can be shared yeah, more I mean, evenly. It's very, very hard to get there, and I'm not saying we will, but ultimately, if we end up in 10, 12 years' time with an economy that is smaller than it would have been but less unequal than it would have been, that's not all bad. Mm. What's going to happen to Europe? Like, how's Europe faring? It'll still be there. Fine, good. Yeah, but the European, the, the European Union, like, what's the... Um... Will it, is no deal, you know, we hear about no deal being worse for them than it is Absolute for us. Absolute nonsense. It's far worse for us. I mean, it's bad for them. Yeah. I mean, for the 30-odd thousand French freight lorry drivers who come over here, for the German car salesman, for Zeebrugger that trades almost uniquely in cars over... I mean, you've got a Zeebrugger and there are all these right-hand, right-hand drive cars all over the place waiting to be shipped over here. So... Yes, it will be massively disruptive. It's not the sort of thing they would choose. It will, it'll be worse for us. Why? Because they still get to trade with the other 26 in, under the same rules as now. So the EU is a bigger market for them than Britain is. Okay. What will happen to the EU? Well, nothing dramatic, I think, in two ways. One, the EU isn't suddenly going to forge ahead towards federation now that the sort of difficult buggers from Britain are out because... The problems they face aren't problems that we were causing. So there's the Eurozone crisis, not us. There's the migration crisis, not us. And there's the battle between the West and the East over liberal values, again, not us. So those problems persist, and I don't think they'll be any easier to solve without us. But nor will the European Union fall apart. I think, I mean, for several reasons. One, because the other member states have always been more attached to it than we have for several reasons. One, a lot of them are small. Small countries don't leave big clubs because the big clubs make them feel safe. Secondly, a lot of them are in the Eurozone, and if you think Brexit is a nightmare, imagine doing Brexit and changing your currency at the same time. That really would be hell. The third thing is most of them have sort of... Uh, most of them have absorbed the EU into their political DNA in a way we haven't. So the French. The French are, haven't got lessons to learn on nationalism from anyone. But when a French president does a press conference, there are two flags behind him. And I say him because they've always been hims. There's a French flag and there's an EU flag. It's inconceivable here. And then the final thing I'd say is you've got all these populist movements in Europe at the moment, but you take Italy and France. In Italy, the populists got elected last year on a platform of being quite anti-EU, anti-Euro. They've rode back on it now. In France, Marine Le Pen lost votes because she was so anti-Euro and she is rowing back from it now. So even the populists, the Eurosceptics in Europe, are far less anti-European mm -hmm. than we are. Than we are. But you could end up with an EU run by populists. Uh, well, the EU isn't really run by anyone right. in the sense that the governments run it ultimately. Yeah. But you could end up with a... I mean, you're not going to end up with a European Parliament in the elections in May with a majority of far-right populists, I don't think. I mean, that's what the polls are indicating. But you could end up with a far less of a majority for the centrist parties, yes. Someone on Twitter wanted to know, uh, they were told by someone much more clever than them, they said, that the whole, the, the whole Brexit thing is about the offshore tax issue and how all the rich millionaires were like, we have to have Brexit rushed through because we don't want to be able to squirrel our money away because the EU brought in their tax legislation saying that, you know, you have to pay tax in the EU. I take it you have no truck with this as a as Not really. Idea. I mean, tax policy in the EU is passed by unanimity. Yeah. 
So every government gets a veto. And if we didn't veto it, the Irish would or the the Luxembourgers would. So I think the EU finds it as hard as anyone else does to coordinate over tax being squirrelled away elsewhere. I'm glad you answered that. I have like I have so many questions, but I'll just ask one more, and then we'll do like one set of stupid questions each. So this isn't even my stupid question. Um, I asked before on the last podcast about stockpiling, and you said no one is stockpile. Have you changed your mind on that? Well, no, I haven't. Partly because the government's doing it for us, so the government has told uh, the NHS, for instance, to stockpile. Secondly, because I'm fairly certain that the supermarkets will start making arrangements. Uh, thirdly, because I don't think no deal is all that likely. I have a I genuinely have a Brexit stockpile in a drawer in a divan drawer in my bed and I said this on the news quiz and everybody laughed like it was a joke and it's gen I genuinely have food that I will eat if pushed but I won't eat you know I don't like it that much like own brand uh, tea bags and pesto we'll run out of Mars bars are we we will if we have no deal according to Michael Gove so that's a, something worth thinking about what to trade Didn't with? Know Mars was part of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big empire. No, I mean, I, it's, it must be decades since I've eaten a Mars bar, actually. But apparently, Mars bars rely on imports, which are time sensitive. So I could buy a lot of Mars bars and then sell them at hugely inflated prices. Absolutely. Yes, handy. But don't keep them in a warm drawer. Wait, how much? I thought you would. Uh, when I th- when people talk about stockpiling, I yeah. didn't think like only enough food to fit under a bed yeah like not crazy stockpiling i can live i reckon i've got enough food for two weeks eating really boring shit can i just say that ed's bought a chest freezer i know yeah ed was saying ed, our, our producer ed has genuinely bought a chest freezer and he has filled it with stockpiling stuff and he buys extra lee rolls and everything Is, do, have you stockpiled no have you what no, I don't. Oh. I don't live anywhere. I live out of a suitcase. Oh. I feel like me just reading about Brexit all the time is doing something to mitigate the worst uh, elements of it. Do you have Mars bars in that suitcase? Because maybe that's something you should think about. That is something that I should think about. Do you know what I bought this week in my stockpile uh, shop? I bought three jars of rubbish jam because I thought that we might need the calories at one point. Do you count your dog as part of your emergency stockpile? Is your dog in the freezer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, forget that. Well, we've got, there's a lake out the back with some geese. We'll go through the geese first. I don't trust geese. Have you bought a gun? I don't trust lakes. No. Should I have bought a well, gun? Well, if you want the key, the geese are going to chase them. Yeah. Throw jam at them until oh, sing. sing to them and then bring their necks. <laughs> um, so, last round of stupid questions. In the case of a complete societal breakdown and riots, of the four of us, who do you think would survive? Me. <laughs> you got the killer instinct. Absolutely, because I'm old and so therefore I'm a man of means. All right. How much is age actually a big contributing factor about this because people are always talking about sort of old versus the young massive massive yeah. old people voted disproportionately well there are two things and then in january it tipped because <laughs> they all died well yeah deaths. in theory it died i mean we need to think about t- there are two things to think about all right the one is turnout the old people turn out more than young people and that's even true of 2017 and the so-called youth quake it was still the case that older voters were more likely to vote than younger voters but secondly we're old as a country so if you take voting patterns by demographic I think from memory, it would have taken a 97% turnout among under 45s to turn the result. Because we're old as a country. I mean, so there's a slight imbalance in terms of how likely people are to vote. But also, there just aren't many young people compared to the number of old people. I have my last stupid question. If this all goes really badly, like proper um, 
Food. Unlike now when it's going really, well, yeah. Well, when you can, when you hear my going badly, you know, army on the streets, which I've read is going to happen, and food rotting everywhere, and all this sort of business. An army on the streets, <laughs> vixen in the sheets, <laughs> a navy in the sheets. An army in the sheets, very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and um, when it all goes really badly. <laughs> Do you think David Cameron will be hunted down and locked in the tower? Absolutely not, because it's not his fault, as he keeps telling us. You don't believe that? No, I don't believe that at all, no. I think uh, he made a number of mistakes. He put party before country. He ran a crap campaign in the referendum. He didn't plan for the event of us voting to leave. He didn't hang around to deal with the implications of the decision that he'd made. I mean, he did all sorts of things wrong. I think... I think what will happen in the event of things going wrong and there being no deal is we will end up going back to Brussels and saying, look, we've got to sort something out. I think at that point, Brussels will say, well, we had a withdrawal agreement here. Would you like to sign this now? Yeah. I, I think the other thing to bear in mind, though, is, I mean, everyone talks about how unified the EU has been. In the event of no deal, I think that unity will crack because the French and the Belgians and the Dutch will be saying, sod this. Yeah. We need a deal with the Brits. We've got people queuing up at the ports. We've got rotten vegetables at the ports. And I think it will be a real test to the EU as well. I'm really looking forward to our podcast on how we rejoin the EU. But for this week, that's all over. Thanks to Anand Menon, Alice Fraser and John Luke Roberts. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at AnyStupidQs. Get in touch. Tell us your stupid questions. We might read them out. I'm Daniel Ward and the producer was Ed Morris. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.